know, when I was growing up, uh, I started out as a child, and when I was a young boy, uh, I have two older sisters, for those of you who don't know that, and I grew up on four kinds of stories. I grew up on Bible stories, baseball stories, Dr. Seuss stories, and Disney stories. And of course, one of the best-known Disney stories back then uh, was a story called Cinderella. Maybe some of you have heard of it. And uh, we had the album, and for those of you youngsters, this was a round black disc that had a hole in the center that you played on a thing called a record player. And my sisters and I would sit around, and since I had two older sisters, I identified with the heroine of the story, Cinderella. And, you know, we'd sit around and do the songs, and I particularly liked the one with the mice singing in a very high-pitched falsetto thing. Uh, do you remember this? Any of you have seen this thing? I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. Uh, but the lyrics of the mice are, you know, we can do it, we can do it, we can help our Cinderella, we can make her dress so pretty, there's nothing to it really. We'll, you know, remember that song? So uh, it's amazing how the, don't, 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 don't do that, you don't need to do that. It's just, you don't have to clap because I can remember a song from 50-something years ago, it's all right. But the thing about that is, is it's crazy how those words stay in your mind from childhood, from all those years ago, right? And the thing about Cinderella is you know how it turns out. She goes from being the servant who is treated harshly and unfairly and not as she deserves, and she ends up happy, well-dressed, and with a worthy prince. And this kind of upwardly mobile, everything works out great in the end story is one we all like and know. It's also a fairy tale. But what's interesting to me is that the story of Jesus is like the opposite of the story of Cinderella. He's the worthy prince who gives up everything to be a servant. And at the end of his life, he is treated harshly and unfairly and not as he deserves. However, that servant is ultimately vindicated by God. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, where Paul writes, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word for this morning. Three times Paul stresses to the followers of Christ that they should be of the same mind or one mind. Now, this doesn't mean we agree on every single thing, but that we have the same mindset, that we have the same attitude, that we have the same approach to life that Jesus did. Fifty years ago, in 1972, one of the best-known slogans in public service advertising was launched And it was introduced by what was known at the time as the United Negro College Fund. And the slogan was, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. That's an effective slogan that people can remember 50 years later. And that phrase has had real staying power. And you may not have known that they tweaked it 10 years ago. And they changed it to, a mind is a terrible thing to waste but a wonderful thing to invest in. It's not bad. Your mind, in case you didn't know, is vitally important. And you don't want to waste it. You don't want to pollute it. You don't want to fill it with a bunch of garbage or with things that may corrupt it. You want to invest in a Christ-like mindset. Now, there are many scriptures, many scriptures that remind you about the importance of what you think about and where you set your mind. I'm just going to give you a few. Psalm 26, verse 2, encourages you to engage in intelligent self-reflection. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and mind. Proverbs 15, 14 reminds you of the importance of learning and learning throughout your life. Proverbs 15, 14 says, The mind of one who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. I'm going to pause in these scriptures for a second to say, you can always tell what people are watching or listening to Because what you watch or listen to or read a lot comes out of your mouth. I can tell what channel many of you watch on television just by listening to you. Isaiah 26, verse 3, shares a beautiful promise about our mind. Those of steadfast mind you keep in peace. In peace because they trust in you. Finally, Jeremiah 17.10, God warns, I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. That's one of those, ooh. God knows my mind. Just let that sit for a moment. Your mind involves at least four major areas. Ideas, 
images, information, and your ability to think. And in a sense, the greatest battlefield in the world is between your ears. And the stakes are incredibly high. When Jesus was tested by the adversary in the wilderness, he was able to be victorious because he had thought about and learned the scriptures to such an extent that he could think straight and not be deceived. And pondering on and memorizing scripture is important so you can think properly, so you can have the mind of Christ. I mean, let's just be honest. You can't have the mind of Christ if you don't know who he is, what he taught, what he did, and what he sacrificed. I mean, you kind of have to know those things. You have to put that data, that information, into your head. And in Philippians 2, Paul is presenting Jesus as humble, loving, obedient, and self-sacrificing. That's the mind he's encouraging them to have. That's the mind of Christ. Humble, loving, obedient, and self-sacrificing. And the necessity of believers being of one mind or the same mind is so important to Paul that he mentions it in every single chapter in Philippians. Let me give them to you so you can mark them in your Bible. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. We've already heard from chapter 2, the three times in verse 2 and verse 5, be of the same mind, be of one mind. But the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 3, he says, let those of us then who are mature, which is a great way of presenting something to a congregation, right? Because he's basically saying, if you don't agree with me, then clearly you are immature. But he's saying, let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And finally, in chapter 4, because it's clear everyone isn't of the same mind in the church in Philippi, which is part of why he's writing this letter and encouraging them to be of the same mind, there's a couple women who are having a little issue, and he encourages them to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, Paul also describes the opposite of the mind of Christ, and that was in verse 4 of chapter 2 that I read for you. And what are those things that are signs or markers of a mindset that is not the mind of Christ? And he mentions selfish ambition, conceit, regarding ourselves as better than others, looking only to our own interests, and disregarding the interests or needs of other people, and arrogantly looking down on others. Now, Paul has reason to believe that there are some struggles among the Philippians because this kind of thinking is shaping some of their behavior. People insisting on getting in their own way, uh, getting their own way. People, you know, not being like-minded, it often leads to discord. 
But I'll tell you something. When you find yourself in conflict or having a disagreement with another person, here's a real simple thing to do to check yourself. Am I looking to my own interests and not the interests of the other person? And I'm here to tell you, I'll, I, of course, wouldn't wager anything, but I suspect that quite often when, you know, we get our heels dug in and we're having a disagreement with someone, so often whose perspective are we thinking about it from? And these issues continue to plague human relationships, both in families and in the church, outside the church, the larger wor world. You know, but it doesn't have to be that way. Because we can change our mind about what is happening. And transforming your mind towards the mind of Christ comes through, and don't be scared by this, making key passages of Scripture fixtures in your mind so they're like you know when you're driving your car and you've got your fuel gauge and your speedometer and you've got all these things that every time you're driving at every moment they're there to remind you of how things are going I was driving back from a wedding rehearsal in Wellfleet on Thursday and coming down route six and someone coming the other way decided to make a u-turn across two lanes of route six and um, which was an interesting experience I had not had that experience before of seeing a car just suddenly turn, and, and not only did they attempt a U-turn on Route 6, they didn't do it. They, they didn't even turn their wheel tight enough, so they just blocked both lanes. You know, it was an interesting experience. And when that happened, I have Scripture in my head <laughs> that helps me. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you know, and, and, and that's why taking in significant Scriptures like Philippians 2, 1 to 11, and Colossians 3, 1 to 17, a fabulous chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, all about what love is like, the fruit of the Spirit. When those things are in your head, then when life happens, that's what hopefully bubbles up to the surface. Really. It actually can happen. God has made our mind, and it's entirely possible for us to take in large passages of Scripture so that it forms us and checks us and keeps us where God wants us. And transforming our mind comes from the images we watch and listen to as well. And I'm, the media bombards us with images that aren't helpful, they aren't positive. And historically, in counter to that, many churches and cathedrals have used icons and stained glass and windows, carvings, statues, architecture. They've done all that historically to provide images that are intended to direct our thoughts and to lead the worshiper into the presence of God. We saw that in every church we visited in Greece this spring, how this has happened historically. And now, more recently, churches use screens and photos and video clips to do the same thing. What you look at, what you listen to every day shapes you. Many scholars believe, I mean, just think about like if you want to shift your mu mood, all you have to do is what sort of music do you want to listen to, right? How does mu music change your mood? Many scholars believe actually that Philippians 2, 5 to 11, Paul's actually quoting an early Christian hymn that the church would have known. 
And he's kind of reminding them. You remember this song, the old song about what Jesus did. So what you think about, what you read, what you watch, what you listen to, it all shapes your mind and who you are and who you are becoming. And if God is only an occasional presence in your mind, you shouldn't be surprised that your thoughts, your feelings, your behavior, your relationships reflect that fact. The more God occupies your mind, the more preoccupied you become with the mind of Christ, the more the Spirit of the Lord will shape your thoughts, your feelings, your will, your behavior, and your relationships. Have you ever renovated a space in your house or cleaned and organized it? And then thought, oh my goodness, I didn't realize there was so much space there. You can do that in your mind for Christ. Yesterday, I had the joy of joining Judy Turpin's granddaughter, Katie Kreitler and Andrew Nixon in marriage up in Wellfleet. And it's very, you know, it's a real privilege to stand so close to a couple when they're exchanging their vows because you can see in their eyes how much they're in love with each other. And when you're in love, you think about the other person a lot. Uh, Andrew, in this case, you know, he, he and Katie, uh, Katie met and then she moved to New York City and he's in Pennsylvania and what did he do? He started driving to Pennsylvania, going back and forth. He eventually left his job in Pennsylvania, relocated, found a new job. He did all that. Why? So he could be near the person he loved and because he was preoccupied with being with her. So in the same way, if you love God, you'll think about God a lot. And if you scarcely ever think about God during your day or during the week, it's kind of hard to say you really love God. Because if you really love anyone or anything, you think about them or it frequently. Don't you? Yes, thank you. Of course you do. So as you think about having the mind of Christ and what that means for you, remember... In Philippians 2, it means Jesus, we're told, gave up all claims to privilege, recognition, personal glory. He gave it all up simply to be obedient to God without fanfare, without applause, without appreciation, without acknowledgement, without promise of reward. And he did it all for you and for me and for all the people of the world. And Paul says this act of humility is the central defining act of the Christian faith. And it's the attitude and the approach that all Christ followers are to take. God and Jesus have done something for you that you could never do for yourself. And what they're looking for now is, what are you going to do in return? Some of you may have seen that in the news, the Gallup reported on Friday that the percentage of American adults who believe in God is down to 81%, which is the lowest number since they started tracking that data in 1944. I'm going to say something that may shock or surprise you a little bit. Um, it really doesn't matter to me how many people say they believe in God. And you know why it doesn't matter to me? <laughs> because the real question isn't, do you believe in God? Satan believes in God. Demons believe in God. I don't really care whether you say you believe in God. What I care about is, are you seeking to obey and follow God? That's what really matters. Are you looking to live a life that gives glory and pleasure to God? That's the most important thing. Oswald Chambers wrote in his classic devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, 
when it comes to having the mind of Christ, we have to do something. We are in danger of forgetting that we cannot do what God does and that God will not do what we can do. We cannot save or sanctify ourselves. God does that. But God will not give us good habits or character. And he will not force us to walk correctly before him. We have to do that ourselves. Joe was a drunk who was miraculously converted at a Bowery mission. And prior to his conversion, he had gained the reputation of being a drunk for whom there was no hope. Just a miserable experience in the gutter. But following his conversion to a new life with the Lord, everything changed. And Joe became the most caring person anyone associated with the mission had ever known. And he spent his days and nights hanging out at the mission doing whatever needed to be done. And there was never anything that he was asked to do that he considered beneath him. And whether it was cleaning up the mess left by some violently ill client or scrubbing toilets in the men's room... Joe did what was asked of him with a smile on his face and with gratitude for the chance to help. He could be counted on to feed feeble men who wandered off the street into the mission and to undress and tuck into bed men who were too out of it to take care of themselves. And one evening when the director of the mission was delivering his evening evangelistic message to the usual crowd of sullen, quiet men with drooped heads, there was one man who looked up and he came down the aisle to the altar and he knelt to pray and was crying out to God to help him change for good. And the repentant man kept shouting, oh God, make me like Joe, make me like Joe, make me like Joe. And the director of the mission leaned over and he said to the man, son, I, I think it would be better if you prayed, make me like Jesus. And the man looked at him and said, is he like Joe? What a tremendous credit to Joe's faith in Christ. Many people don't have a clue about Jesus, but they know your mind, they know your habits, they know how you talk, they know how you act, and they can tell whether you're truly engaged in following Jesus or not. Again, Oswald Chambers said, no one is born either naturally or supernaturally with character. It must be developed. Nor are we born with habits. We have to form godly habits on the basis of the new life that God has placed within us. If the majesty, grace, and power of God are not being exhibited in us, God holds us responsible. Well, like with the end of Cinderella, remember I started with Cinderella, Paul says there's going to be a change at the end of history that's unmistakable and clear for everyone to see. Jesus the servant, the lowly humble one, will be shown to be the Lord of all, indeed the Lord of the universe, Lord of all in heaven and on earth and even under the earth. And Paul says the day is going to come when every knee is going to bend. So if you confess Jesus as Lord, whether you did that 70 years ago, whether you want to do it today for the first time in your life, if you confess Jesus as Lord, you'll need to change some of your habits if you want to experience and demonstrate 
the mind, the life, and the power of Christ. You'll need to seek to live with a humble, obedient, self-sacrificing mind as Jesus did. And when you do, God's spirit and God's power will be evident in your life. And it will be noticeable to other people. And you will imitate Christ's humble, obedient, faithful service. Lord, I pray we may be of one mind, the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you so much for sending Jesus to be with us, to model what a fully human life surrendered to you looks like. And God, I pray if there are any of us here who, like that man who cried out for change and transformation, God, would Jesus not be a historical figure to us? May he not be just someone us preachers talk about? But God, I pray Jesus would be personal for each and every one of us that we might be able to say that he is mine and I am his. We ask this in his name. Amen.